My job at Metro Baptist, the church that brought me to New York and ordained me, was ending. What should I do next? I said to my friend Lynn Pentecost, middle elder and Lower East Side Girls Club founder nine years ago. Oh, you should come work at my church, middle. We're a progressive artsy congregation. Plus, the girls club began in middle's basement. Middle church? Hmm. Okay, I thought, and I tucked it away. We were playing poker and having a proper New York City brunch in a high-rise building overlooking Union Square. Through the cigar smoke, I met someone named Gabby DeVoe, who years later would become Jackie's daughter-in-law. We were fast friends. And when she left, she mentioned heading to Middle Church for Art and Soul, a Sunday night gathering. Middle Church. I tucked it away somewhere. Six years ago, I was hosting a fundraiser for Parity, an organization that helps LGBTQ people reconcile sexual orientation with their faith. One of the honorees was Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Jackie, I heard that night, was the senior pastor of Middle Church. Middle Church, I tucked it away. We were in the throngs of toddler parenting, two three-year-olds and a one-year-old. We made it to the F train platform just in time to realize we would totally miss our home church worship service in Hell's Kitchen. Defeated, I said to my husband, Graham, let's just get off on Second Avenue. I keep hearing about this middle church place and I don't know what time they worship, but if we miss it, we can just go to the park. We walked up Second Avenue and came upon the large stone facade of middle. Have we missed worship? I asked the security guard out front. Missed it? You're 10 minutes early. It was that day three years ago last Sunday that we walked into middle church for the first time. The queer icons surrounding the sanctuary, the bold preaching by Jackie, the divine singing, the soulful band, the warm welcome of Diane, Kelly, Lila, Marta, and love. It all captivated us. It all felt like stepping into a song that had been playing our whole lives. In my senior year at college, I was asked to be one of the three preachers at closing convocation. As I walked up to the pulpit to begin preaching, ready to set my text on the lectern, two men came out of nowhere and physically removed the pulpit. Evidently, there were only two preachers that day. They were male, and I was just a speaker. Or in December 2020 speak, two men without degrees said I was fraudulent and comic to use my authority and asked me to be removed. Well, that's Reverend Amanda Hambrick Ashcraft to you now, gentlemen, and you can keep the title. I was interviewing for a church in Brooklyn. It came down to me and another candidate. The senior pastor, a white man, let it slip that he didn't think I could do the job with three small kids. Fast forward to June 2018. I'm literally wearing a small child and pushing two others in a double stroller, 
my stole sweating off my shoulders on the mall in DC. We were there for a gathering of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Amanda? Jackie yelled to me from across the mall. She recognized me because we'd made our way to those pews back in December. What are you doing? Come march with us. That's the moment Jackie cites as knowing that I was the right person for the job at middle. My white Kentucky born self with three small children. You come and sing that song that's inside of you, Amanda, here. The song that's been being composed your whole life, tickling in your ear, just waiting to be strung together. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a song too. Found in Luke chapter one, literally just sung to us beautifully by Gabriella. Mary had a song too. Now, in order to understand the significance of her song, we need to take a step back and understand the cultural and personal context into which she sang. Mary, a poor Jewish child from a community under the rule of oppressive Roman empire had just been told she would carry the son of God. She suddenly finds herself completely marginalized, vulnerable and scared with more questions than answers. Plus, if we're being really honest, she had some real first trimester issues. She was tired. She was nauseous, but she wasn't visibly pregnant. So it was awkward that she was tired and nauseous, but she was tired and nauseous all the time. She got word that her fiance was calling off the wedding because her now pregnant self is a disgrace to society. And she was going to be stoned to death. Her future was largely unknown and very grim. Not knowing what else to do, with haste, she ran to the hillside to be with her cousin Elizabeth. Upon arrival, Elizabeth blesses her, and it is then in community that Mary burst into song, the text before us. Now, when we understand the cultural and personal context of Mary's song, in the words of Reverend Carolyn Sharp, Mary is no longer the radiant woman peacefully composing the Magnificat. Instead, she is a girl who sings defiantly to her God through her tears, fists clenched against an unknown future. When understood this way, Sharp goes on to say, Mary's song becomes a radical resource for those seeking to honor the holy amid the suffering of real life. Like your church building, literally burning to the ground during the second week of Advent. In a year already marked by disease, death, racial and economic turmoil and morally corrupt rulers. In perhaps never a more poignant time in all our living, we are standing fists clenched against an unknown future. Can we sing defiantly to God through our tears? Can we sing through our questions? 
How long until I can see my grandkids again? How can I pay my staff now that indoor dining closes again tomorrow? When can I perform on a stage again? Can I do the work my soul calls me to do in the face of misogyny and sexism? Can I do the work my soul calls me to do in the face of racism, transphobia, classism? Mary's song is a song of hope and revolution that comes to us in community. It flips the ruling class on its head and tells of a future ripe with equality and justice. It's so revolutionary that in the last century, it's been banned in three countries that we know of. It's so subversive, the ruling class fears that the oppressed might start doing some things. The lowly might see themselves as powerful. The unsuspecting might come to understand that they are divine. Let's don't include that song. That's too powerful. Let's don't let Amanda have a pulpit. What overturning of the patriarchy might occur? Women with small children can't have jobs outside the home. What reversal of gender and family norms might occur? We can't be a church if we preach Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and trans lives are holy. What revolution might occur? I don't know what tomorrow will hold. I don't know when we will gather under a roof again. I don't know if the facade is going to stay or when the rebuilding will begin. I don't know when the vaccine will be available to everyone or how many more people will die. But here's what I do know. There was once a young Jewish girl who also didn't know a hell of a lot. And in the time in her life when she knew the least and feared the most, she sang a song of revolution, of liberation, of reversal, of hope, a song bursting with moral courage. Had Mary been filled with reason, the type the world likes to give, there would have been no room for the baby, Madeline Engel once said. Mary sang a song of a world where there's enough for all, where God brings down the powerful from their thrones and lifts up the lowly, filling the hungry with good things and sending the rich away empty. She sang a song where possibility flourishes and where every person, despite how society views them, is redeemable and lovable. In Mary's song, Brandon Bernard is still alive not executed by the state. What would Brandon's song be had we collectively blessed him and seen him as God sees him, the way Mary taught us to sing? I know it's been a difficult week, month, year, maybe for you years. But here's the thing, because Mary sang, we too can sing. In the face of debris, come crumbling brick, sanctuary stones. In the face of racism, sexism, skepticism, inequality, we too 
can sing. Everyone has those one or two people in their lineage that when you think of deep faith come to mind. For me, that's my 98 and a half year old great aunt Mary, conveniently named, who lived herself through a tragic burning of her childhood home. Yesterday, I found out there's a COVID outbreak in her nursing home wing in Kentucky. I'm just calling to see how you are, Mary, I said yesterday on the phone. Oh, thank you, thank you, she said. You know there's a vaccine coming. Bursting with hope in the face of the unknown. There are Marys all around us because we all have the promise of God within us. We all have a song inside of us, a song that looks a lot like love. Mary's song is a love song. May the courage of the one who saw the world as it could be inspire us and carry us today as we find not only our individual songs, but our collective song of liberation too. Amen.